Here's what we're going to do. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. Um, we're going to read verses 1. That's a lot of text this morning, isn't it? Like, we're going to read verses 1. Um, not even verses, verse 1. And so here's what I do. Would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word? I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to pray. If you're new to Central and you're wondering why are we standing, we stand because whether it's one verse or a hundred verses, this is the word of God. And we come to um, sit under the word of God, to hear from the word of God. If you came to hear me, bad idea, right? We came to hear the word. And so that's what we want to hear this morning. So Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Lord, uh, I, I pray this morning that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would uh, lead us, Lord, that you would have your way with us as your people. Lord, I pray, Lord, this is an encouraging morning, that it's a joyful morning, a moment of celebration where we can then spend the rest of this day in light of what we get to see and, and what we get to hear this morning. So, Lord, uh, please speak through me. Uh, Father, I pray as always, and as I know many of those that were on stage, <clears throat> just a couple of moments pray, Lord, uh, may you increase and we decrease. May I uh, decrease and you increase, Lord. That's our prayer. Uh, and so, Lord, pray that you would do that, that you would have your way with us. I ask and pray these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay, so Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. That is the weirdest, most bizarre Easter text ever. All right, some of you have no idea what I just read about. That's okay. I'm going to explain why I believe that the Lord led us to talk about chapter 8, verse 1 in the book of Revelation on this day. We thought about moving to something else, and we decided like this was what the Lord led us to. And so again, while it may completely confuse you and you're going, what in the world is the seventh seal, and why are we opening it, and why is there quiet in heaven? Like, I'm going to get to that. So just hold on. But before we do that, I want to say, here's my prayer for us this morning. My prayer for you and for me, for my family, for your family, is that you walk out of this morning feeling a sense of confidence and joy and celebration because he is risen. All right, some of y'all, one of you got that, right? All right, so in the church, we do this weird thing every year on, e on Resurrection Sunday where when I say he is risen, you respond, he is risen indeed, right? So um, we're going to walk out of here joyful, celebrating, and confident because he is risen. There we go, right? Like that's our goal. That's the prayer. As we look at these things and as we talk about three very important words, as we talk about wrath, rescue, and as we talk about grace, I want you to remember those words. I want you to remember those words as we go on. Now, as we think about this and we talk this morning, this is a hard morning for us to talk. It's a hard morning to preach because I know there's a lot of different people in this room. Some of you all have been walking faithfully with Jesus for years. Like you try your best to daily walk with Christ. You try your best to, to keep him in front of your, your life and to do the things that he's called you to do and to walk faithfully and obedient. And you're, you know your life isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but you daily are trying to walk in the presence of Jesus. Some of you are Christians. You've put your faith in Jesus, and yet you struggle. Maybe you've got deep, uh, fears. You've got doubts. Maybe you're struggling with sin, and you come into this place, and you're like, man, like, I just don't know uh, what, what I feel about Easter morning and what that's supposed to represent for me. Some of you are, are non-believers. 
And some of you come in this space and you don't care about the Lord. You don't have anything to do with the Lord. Uh, like you're, you're just here because it's what you're supposed to do on Easter because you got drugged here by one of your family members. Uh, you may not even ha- want us to have anything to do with religion. Your life feels like it's just fine without him. Some of you are here because you're genuinely seeking and you want to know. Maybe you feel like there's something here for you, maybe something spiritual that you can engage in. Maybe you could even encounter God himself on this day of all days. And you genuinely want to know and you genuinely want to seek who he is. Well, here's the thing. I'm glad you're here because I believe that regardless of why you're here, that, that, that God has something for you in his word. That he's brought you here this morning on this day for a reason. And he wants to share something to you. He wants to communicate something to you. But it's hard because I know you're, you're coming to this morning with all kinds of different perceptions. And so when I say words, you may take them or hear something or, or feel something just based off the word itself. Like, for example, wrath. Right? I talked about wrath. And if you're a Christian, you may hear that and be like, yay, God's vindication. Yes, I feel rest and I feel peace and I feel so grateful that I have verses like in Romans that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you hear that word and you're excited. Maybe you're one of those Christians who's struggling this morning and you hear the idea of wrath and you feel a sense of of kind of foreboding. Have I sinned too much? Have I failed too much? You may be a non-Christian, you hear the word wrath, and you're like, that's the reason why I hate religion. That's the reason why I don't want to be here this morning, because I don't want to worship a God who's wrathful. I would never worship a God who claims to be loving, and yet he is wrathful. Here's what my goal is for you, and there's probably a lot of others that hear these words, like rescue and grace and wrath, and you get all kinds of different feelings inside of you. Regardless of what feeling comes up when I mention those words, I want to encourage you this morning to lay your perceptions down, to to hear what God says about these things, to see what God wants you to see about these things, And and pray that maybe the Lord would open up your heart. Maybe he would open up your mind to something new. I I don't know why God has brought each of you into this space. But I do know that he has something for you. He has given to us something beautiful. Now, why would we talk about Revelation chapter 8, verse 1? Here's why. Because this book, this scripture is one story. It's one story. It's his story. Amen? Like, kids, you've grown up in the church maybe, and you hear all kinds of amazing stories. And you hear about Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you hear about David and Goliath, and you hear all these different things. Listen, those are not individual stories. That's a part of one story. One story that goes from creation all the way unto a new creation in Revelation chapter 22. Like it's one story. And so while we might think that Revelation chapter 8 verse 1 is is disconnected, you'll see today it's not disconnected at all. It's actually one beautiful story. And I want you to enter into that story. And so if you're not familiar with it, here's the story that God has given to us. He created everything. He created a perfect world. Beautiful Awesome, amazing, unscarred, unbroken, 
And he put us as humans into that world as his image bearers. And this is an amazing moment in history because he has given this to us and he said, you go be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, make, create, build, take my image out into the world and enjoy, eat, drink, be known by one another, have no mar of of broken relationships or stain of broken relationships. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? But if you know the story, you know that it was broken by sin. It was broken by rebellion. It was broken by uh, the Adam and Eve saying no to the Lord. And the scripture is full of this idea of what, uh, of what sin looks like. And here's the thing. We can think about all kinds of different things like sin, lying, and anger, and, and rage, and all these different things. And you might even sit there and think to yourself, no, no, I'm not guilty of that. Well, let me remind us that the ultimate sin, the foundation, the root of all sin, is us wanting to sit on the throne of our lives. It's us saying, no, 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 no. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you may never articulate that. You may have never said that in your mouth ever, one time in your entire life, but don't we all live that way? Like if you don't think that that's inside of you, if you don't think that that is part of who you are, wait until someone tells you to do something you don't want to do. Have you felt that? That sense of like, excuse me? Like you're going to tell me what to do? Here's all the reasons why you have no right to tell me what to do. When someone tells you you messed up or that you're wrong, how do you feel about that? We recoil about that. Guess what that is? That's your sin nature. When your kids are little tiny and they're sweet and they're awesome and you've done nothing but love them and you're like, go clean your room and they go, no! That's the sin nature, all right? Like, you didn't teach them to do that. Like, that's in us and that's in us all. And what we see in scriptures, when that entered into the world, it broke all kinds of things. And yet, God didn't leave us. The scripture is full of people like Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and the people of God, where he has sought to reveal himself over and over and over and over again. And over and over and over again, what we see in scripture is the people saying, thanks for showing yourself, don't care, I'm going to do what I want. Listen. This is why wrath exists. That's why wrath exists. And we don't like that word, do we? I know we don't like that word. I don't like that word. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us feel like like this is a hard thing. And yet, I think oftentimes it comes because we don't understand it. Now, a lot of you don't know me real well. Those of you who do know me know that I'm not a super emotional person. That has its strengths and its weaknesses. But uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to watch a movie. And the movie uh, was titled The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Uh, how many of you have seen that movie or read that book? All right, so for you, you you're going to recognize probably a little bit about what I'm going to say. Here's the thing. That's a really hard movie to watch. It's a really hard movie to watch. It's a movie that takes place in, during the time of the Holocaust. And the reason it's a hard movie to watch is because it revolves around these two young boys that you saw up on the screen just a minute ago. And one is a German boy, and he doesn't really understand what's going on around the Holocaust. He's there because his dad is the leader of the concentration camp. And so he doesn't really get it. He looks across the fence and just thinks these are strange farmers 
um, who wear strange striped pajamas. And he meets this little boy, and they strike up this friendship. And as you watch, you see this movie, and you see him wrestling with what's going on in this and what's happening in this story. And he's trying to figure out what's happening across the fence. And, and as the movie starts to wind down, I can remember when I was watching that movie, as I started to see where things were headed, my jaw started to clench. I mean, like, legitimately and visibly clench. And when the movie was over, I remember turning it off, and me and Karen, my wife, like, we just sat there for a second, and and we began to talk about it. I was enraged. Like, I have never had a movie make me feel like that movie did when I was done with it. Like, I'm not kidding. I wanted to hit something. I was like, this is horrible. Hate this. Like he was so angry, and, and, and I didn't even have a reason to be angry, right? Like that's something that happened years ago. I didn't, I didn't have any connection to those people. Now, here's the question as I'm sitting there, I'm just angry and full of rage. The question is Was my wrath wrong to feel towards those Nazis and those who accomplished the, her- the Holocaust? What was it wrong? Was my anger unjustified? Was it unjustified? I don't think it is. In fact, I think if I had watched that movie and seen all the horrible things that happened and the tragedy and the sin and the wickedness and all of the hurt that happened in those seasons to millions of people and I didn't react at all, what would that say about me? I'm cold-hearted and I'm uncaring, I'm uncompassionate. See, my wrath was birthed out of a recognition that those two boys' lives mattered. That those two boys' lives, that they had value, that they mattered, that they meant something. Listen, it doesn't make any difference what the Nazi in that movie might say about it. Like, they might look at me and be like, whoa, hold on. Aren't you being a little judgmental to be so angry at me? Like, who are you to say you're right and I'm wrong for doing these things? Like, you know, I just don't want to talk to you anymore because I feel like you're being a little unloving to be so angry at me. Now, you'll recognize the insanity of that, right? You understand the insanity because it doesn't make any difference what that Nazi felt. What they were doing was wrong. And it was hurting human beings. And so my wrath was not unjustified at all. In fact, it was founded upon my care and my value of life in those two little boys. See, here's the thing. And we talked about this some last week very shortly. This is the same as it is with God's wrath. God's wrath is rooted in his love and his care and his compassion. He hates that which hurts what is most valuable to him. He hates that what hurts what is most valuable to him is creation, humanity, his own name. And we may see that and say, well, that seems prideful, but he's the most valuable. He's the, the best king there is. Imagine a king. What kind of a king would you worship or, or serve if that king was like, here, I want you to do this. You said no, spit at him in his face and turned around and the king was just like, I guess that's the way it is. Would you serve a king like that? Like, That just tells you that king is not valuable. That king doesn't care about his own glory. He doesn't care about his own name or his own kingdom. God cares about that which is most valuable, and his name is in that, along with his creation that he loves. Now, here's the thing. Again, wrath 
is all over the story that God has given us. We try to run from it. We try to de-emphasize it. We try to be like, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that. We're only going to talk about the love. But here's the thing, to ignore it or to de-emphasize it is to ignore love because you can't have love without wrath. They're part of the same thing. You, you, you are wrathful because you do love. If you don't love, you don't care. I think this is an important thing for us. And listen, if you're tempted this morning to just get up and be like, I did not come to Easter to hear about wrath. That is not why I came. Like, just, just hang in there. I promise if you hang in there, you will see one of the most beautiful things that God has given to us in this world. One of the most beautiful, uh, amazing, awe-inspiring things that he has given to us. But I want us to look at wrath. I want us to see his wrath to start off with. Like one of the places that the Lord talks about his wrath is in the book of Jeremiah. And he's talking about the nations around Israel that brought hurt and suffering to the people of Israel. And this is what he says in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15. It says, thus says the Lord. Now, when you're reading your Bible and you see those capital letters, that's his personal name, Yahweh. So this is personal to him. This is important to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He said to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send to you drink it. See, God is giving us an image of a cup. I know this isn't a cup, but either way, right? He's giving us this image of a cup of his wrath. And what he's saying is that the nations, as they sin and they rebel, they're filling up my cup of wrath. I haven't poured out it on them yet, but I'm going to. And he gives us this image, and this image is used all over the scripture. It's used in places like Isaiah in 51, 17, where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, and he's lamenting, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, again, this is personal, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. So what that text is reminding us is the people of Israel rebelled over and over and over and over again. They just kept filling up the cup until finally God poured out his wrath upon the people of Israel and they were taken into exile. Drunk to the dregs, it was emptied, it was poured out. See, here's the thing. God's wrath, when it's poured out, it's unbearable. It's awful. It's complete. And here's what we need to know. This story ends with one final outpouring of his wrath. See, in the history of Israel, it's been against his people at times. It's been against the nations at times. Uh, we know the stories of, of Babylon. We know the stories of Noah and the ark but in the end, his wrath is going to pour out to all. That's how the story ends. In fact, Revelation chapter 6 speaks of this. As, as we see a seal being opened up, the sixth seal. Look and listen to what it says. As the people see this final wrath be poured out onto the earth, and they see this massive earthquake, and they're crying for the mountains to fall on them. It says, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of God, for the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand? Now, this is where we come into Revelation. What we've seen at the end of the story is God is pouring out his wrath. And the people are crying out, who can stand? And if you've been with us the past several weeks, you would have seen that the answer to that question is that the people that can stand underneath the cup of God's wrath are those who have been sealed by Jesus. 
And then, after we get the answer to that question, we get to Revelation chapter 8, the, the, the seventh and final seal that is opened. And we see this scroll of God's redemptive purpose is opened up, and all we know about the seventh seal is that everything goes quiet. Like, everything goes still. There was silence in heaven. Silence in heaven. And we're not told what is specifically going on here. We're not told what's happening. All we know is that whatever is taking place at the end of the story makes our mouths drop and us go silent. Us stand in awe. Now, in other parts of Scripture, we see this tied to his wrath. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Habakkuk 2, 20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Both of these texts are talking about the wrath of God that is to come. And then when he is roused and he begins to pour out his cup of wrath upon all of the people, like it will be something that will make us all stand in awe. We will go silent. Heaven will go silent. The mouth will drop open and we will go, I cannot believe this is about to happen. See, the story ends with wrath. But now I want to pause. And I want you to think about the day we celebrate. I want you to think about this moment that we celebrate. I want you to imagine the silence as it, they must have experienced when Jesus breathed his last. I want to read in Mark chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. I just want you to imagine that moment. Imagine standing at the foot of a cross and seeing the horrors of what had just happened and what was in the middle of happening, and darkness covers the land. I don't think there was a lot of noise happening. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, this is a hardened Roman soldier, who was stood facing him, saw that in this way, Jesus breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, imagine this moment. Think about this moment. Like, they're seeing something happen before them. And here's what I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the scene before we get there. What they're seeing is the wrath of God. They didn't know it. They may not have understood it. But even seeing it made them fall silent, made them go, oh man, something unbelievably unique is happening here. They were seeing the wrath of God. See, the wrath and revelation in other parts of Scripture, like that is not the whole story, amen? It's not the whole story. Like if it was the whole story, like that would be terrifying. 
That would be hopeless. Like, we wouldn't be here this morning. We'd all be like, I'm out of here. I'm just going to try to run and hide. But it's not the whole story. Look at 2 Peter, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. As some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you know what that tells us? As you look at this cup and you think about the Lord's wrath, do you know why it's not being poured out on us yet? Because he's patient. He's waiting for you. He doesn't want this cup of wrath to be poured out upon you. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants to provide a way. He wants us to turn from that wickedness that we talked about already this morning. He wants us to turn from the rebellion that's in our hearts. He wants us to turn away from that part of us that says, no, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you're going to do. He's patient towards us because he's not wishing that any should perish underneath this wrath being poured out. And so what does our God do in the midst of this story? Well, you know if you've been in the church at all. He gives us John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish underneath this cup of wrath, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Brothers and sisters, here's where the story turns, because here is the rescue, and we want you to see his rescue. Jesus came. He came to this earth. He came for a reason. He didn't come to just be a good teacher and teach us great things, although he did. He didn't come to just be a good example for us to live as people, although he was. He didn't come to judge us, although, and hear me, he will. Let me say it again. He didn't come to judge us, although he will. He came to become our umbrella against the wrath of God. I want you to think about that. He came to shield us, to be our umbrella against the wrath of God. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 26, he says this in the Garden of Gethsemane, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus says like, I don't want to drink the cup of Darren's wrath. Like, if there's any other way to save Darren besides drinking the cup of wrath that's due him, like, let's go that route. Jesus says, I don't want to drink this cup. It's not his cup, guys and gals. Like, it's not his cup. He didn't do anything to put a reason for the Father to be wrathful against him into the cup. That's your wrath and my wrath. It's his wrath against us. And Jesus is saying, my Father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. But what's he say? Not as I will, but as you will. Well, here's the thing about Resurrection Sunday. It was his will. 
And Jesus suffered. That undeserved wrath was poured out onto his shoulders so that he might save us from it. That he might rescue us from wrath that is coming. See, when it's all said and done and God's wrath is poured out for the last time, we are all going to stand in awe of that wrath. But the cross of Good Friday should equally make us stand in awe because we are given a visible image of both his wrath and his love. See, our deliverer, and quote Paul, for our sake, for your sake, for my sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Even though he didn't have any sin in him, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We should stand in awe of this moment. How how many of you have taken time this Easter to stand in awe of what Jesus did on the cross? When we look at the cross, we should see God's wrath that Jesus didn't deserve. That's your wrath. That's my wrath. That's the wrath that's deserved your kids and your loved ones on his shoulders. And we should see not only his wrath, but his love because he takes it for us. Have you stopped long enough to consider that? For me, like my family, like it's easy just to keep talking and moving, and we don't stand in awe of it. We don't go silent to just sit and wait and look upon this beautiful picture that God has given to us. Jesus, the Son of God, the only one who is able to do it. Brothers and sisters, like he drains the cup of wrath, and it all falls on him. That which is on you and me, he pours it out. He drinks it to the dregs. He drinks it to the dregs. Remember that text we read in Zechariah? Like he, it's all gone. It's all gone. Here's what matters. He, you stand under Jesus, you don't get wet from the wrath of God. He, he took it for you. So when you think about Easter, you need to be reminded the cup is empty for you. Like, there ain't nothing left in it for you. There's no more wrath for you. Like, you can walk in joy and you can walk in celebration and you can be like, man, I know I'm a mess. I know I screw up. I know I'm a goofball. I know still I, I do things all the time that are not pleasing to the Lord. But guess what? The cup's empty. Like, yeah, isn't it? Like, you don't have to go backwards in time. Like, 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 you don't just keep filling up this cup like the scripture says. No, 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 no. Jesus poured it all out on himself. He took it all. Like, there isn't a cup left for you. The only thing that's left in God's cup for you is love and mercy and grace. And his eye of love and his attention turned to you if you are underneath Jesus, if you stand underneath him. See, for the Christian, man, if you're struggling with something, like you're not, you, you don't just keep pouring into this. No, it's poured out fully. It's empty for you. If you're not a believer in this room this morning, 
I pray that the, co- the, the cross helps you to think and to consider that one day we're all going to stand in silent of God's wrath. Are you underneath Jesus' umbrella? Has your, as Colossians say, your record of death, your sin, the things that deserve the wrath of God upon you, has that been nailed to the cross of Jesus? If it hasn't, then this cup is not empty. Now, he may not have poured it out on you yet, but it's not empty. Revelation reminds us that every single tragedy in this world, every earthquake, every war, all of it, every difficulty and challenge, that is a tiny foreshadowing of the wrath that is coming, the wrath that some of us will never have to experience and the wrath for some is warning you, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, come to me. Come to me, repent, believe, trust in me. But there's more. We not only see the rescue that's given to us, we also see his grace. Because Revelation gives us a picture of those that are standing underneath the umbrella of Jesus. You can't see it very well, but I imagine the people that are underneath this glass bowl. And the scripture tells us they are given white robes. See, it's not just that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. It's that we're giving righteousness. We're given something that none of us deserve. Jesus doesn't just take our sins away. He promises to give us so much more. And brothers and sisters, the resurrection is evidence that Jesus drank the full cup. And it still was not enough to destroy him. It was not enough to destroy him. Because he's God. And it is only God who can take the brunt of God's wrath. And the resurrection is promised to say, listen, I made it through. I took the cup of your wrath and I defeated death. I defeated death so you have hope to be raised up to new life just like me. See, the resurrection of Jesus promises more than just no condemnation. It promises blessing, undeserved blessing. That's what grace is. Undeserved gifts, undeserved to us. Undeserved connection to him, undeserved right standing with him, undeserved eternal life, undeserved new earth, undeserved new bodies. Some of y'all really want that this morning. Some of y'all have lost someone that you dearly love and you're longing for the day you get to be reunited with them and, and their new body. The grace that we have is we didn't earn that, we just have to trust him enough to stand underneath his umbrella. I, I, I can't do this. You know, like, God, I'm going to live however you want me to. I'm yours. I, I wholly lay my life down for you because of the work that you've done. See, in the end, there's going to be two groups of people. I genuinely believe that all will be silent when God arouses himself. All are going to be silent when he stands to finally pour out his cup of wrath. Those who refuse to come to him, those who are on the outside of this bowl, those that stand outside from underneath the umbrella, when the wrath comes, they're going to stand in silence because they're going to see the weight of what they are about to bear. And heaven will stand in awe. But for those of us that are in Jesus and we're under Jesus, and we've put our faith in Jesus, 
I think we're going to stand in awe too. I think we're going to stand silent too, like Revelation is talking about, because I think we're going to see ourselves for who we really are, all of the yuckiness and grossness that stands in opposition to God, and yet, at the same time, he poured out the wrath that I deserved upon his shoulders. I think we're going to stand there and we're going to look at our robes and we're going to see that they're white and we're going to think about the new heaven and the new earth and we're going to be like, me? Like, why, why me? Why would you save me? I don't belong here. I belong over there. I, I deserve this. And you took it for me? Like, why? I didn't do anything to deserve it. We don't. We don't. That's the beauty of it. We don't have to. And listen, this isn't a God who's saying like, oh, well, I'm only going to protect them. No, no, he's patient, hoping that you, if you're not under there, will see it. And that you'll, you'll step underneath the umbrella. Like, because you can. All you got to do is be like, man, I don't know what's next, but I know that his wrath is coming, and I know that he saved me. I know that he went to the cross for me. I know that he was raised up to new life to prove that he drank the full cup that was meant for me. And I have a, a potential new life, a new uh, world to look forward to as he's restoring all things. Like This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. That's what it's all about. Who am I? Who am I that you would be mindful of me? Who am I that you care? Like I look around this room and there's 1,500 people in here and, and there's a lot of you that are way smarter than me, way better looking than me, way better speakers than me. Like who, who am I even in this room, let alone the billions of people that he saved throughout all of eternity, or, uh, this world's history? I, who am I that I have hope? Guys and gals, that's your hope today. That's your hope today. I want us to have the joy that Christ offers for us as we celebrate today. As you go out of this place and as you eat ham and you lay Easter eggs around your yard and you send the kids out there and you try to torture them, like hide them underneath bushes and stuff, like, and you do that, man, have a great time with it. But remember that why you celebrate isn't because of the Easter eggs. The reason you celebrate is because Jesus rose proclaiming that he drank your wrath. And man, like, you should be happy about that. Be happy that you have a hope looking forward to you that's way better than the ham you're eating. It's way better than the party at your house. Like, it's so much better. This world is a mess. We have a better one to look forward to. Where the King of Kings will establish a new earth and a new heaven that will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Man, church, celebrate this stuff. Man, you should walk around with a lightness of foot today, of joy, knowing that you will never, ever, ever bear the weight of God's wrath on you if you are in Jesus. There is therefore no, now con no condemnation for you. Man, kids, some of this may be hard for you to understand. You need to talk to your mom and dad about it. Mom and dads, as you walk away from your kids, help them understand what this means for them. 
Help understand in terms of even you, like when you're angry with them and there's wrath, there's right reasons for that. But God is taking that wrath. He's covering it to give grace and mercy. Man, I hope you walk away with that. I hope you walk away with confidence that if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is all that needs to be done for you to be underneath the umbrella of his safety and security as he took the wrath for you. Listen, for you this morning, if you're seeking God, maybe those who walked in and you don't care about any of this, if today that seventh seal was open and this all comes to an end and the story is finished, where would you be? But that's what this moment is for you. Where, where would you be? Would you be underneath the umbrella of Christ and the work he did on, on the cross? Or would you be outside of it? See, I, I want you to be inside with the rest of us. I want you to walk with that same lightness of foot. I want you to have that joy. And I want to make a call to you this morning. Like, come to Jesus. Don't come to me. Like, I might be able to help point you to him, but I can't save you. You come to Jesus, and you put your trust in Jesus, and you get underneath that umbrella. Like, I plead with you to get underneath that umbrella because God is good and he loves you and he wants you to not perish and he is being patient with you. That's why you're here this morning. And so I want to invite you, I want to call you. And so we're going to sing a song. Ryan and the team, they're going to come back up here and we're going to, we're going to praise the Lord. We're going to sing of the glorious day that we have in Christ Jesus. And as we sing this song, I want to invite you, if you want to talk to someone about knowing Jesus on this Easter, like come talk to us. We would love to chat with you. Um, pastors, elders, prayer counselors, I want to invite you to come to the front. Uh, but listen, if you're in Jesus, sing, sing loud because this is the hope, this is the joy, this is the confidence that we get to walk out of this room this morning in. It's not in your abilities, it's not in your confidence, it's in the fact that Jesus drank your cup of wrath for you. He took it upon his shoulders so you wouldn't have to and you now have the hope of life because of it. And so sing loud. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for this day. It is a day that's so easy. We can just come to and go quickly by. Father, it's a day that we can really get wrapped up in wanting something new, uh, a new way to share it, a new way to communicate it, a new experience to have. Father, nothing needs to be added to this. Like, it, is, it is beautiful by itself. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, you would encourage the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk out of here with joy, help us to walk out of here with celebration, knowing the work that you've done, knowing that it's finished, that there is no condemnation for us in Christ. We have a hope to look forward to. And no matter how hard this world gets, no matter how much we grieve, no matter how many bad things happen, we are secure in you. And we have a new world and a new life ahead of us. Lord, I pray that we walk in that encouragement today as we celebrate with friends and family and our loved ones. Father, for those that are here that don't know you, I pray that you would use this time to speak to their hearts, draw them to you, help them to see your patience and your love and your grace. Help them to hear you saying, come to me, come to me, that I might that I might put you underneath the umbrella of my grace and mercy. Father, we pray that you would do these things, and I pray, Lord, as we sing this song, as we end, that you would be glorified and blessed. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.